Welcome to the Supplement Engineer Podcast. My name is Robert Chesky. Joining me today, the temporarily permanent co-host of the Stronger by Science Podcast, and I believe this is your third time on this as the temporary guest host on this podcast, Dr. Eric Trexler. How are you, Dr. Trexler? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, I was just listening to uh, a few of the, I was playing catch up on a few of your older episodes that I hadn't heard recently. Um, and it's seeing that the, I was listening to it, but also reading some, seeing some of the visuals on the background and you, you've got a lot more hair uh, on the lower portion of your face. I, I was going to say that's, that's a very directional <laughs> statement. Yeah. The, the, the top half is, you know, it's, there's some there, but not for long. So I, I'm, I'm, yeah kind of gracefully transitioning into that stage of my life where the majority of my hair is on my my face rather than the top of my head how for the listeners how old are you uh 31 but i've lived a hard life man <laughs> gotcha. well i'm thir- i'll be 38 in august and i've still got a pretty decent amount of hair but it, it it's a lot grayer if you're up close and i, I like to blame my wife and, and five-year-old for that or at least my wife <laughs> likes to claim the credit for it i don't blame her she claims the credit saying all of those that's me robert and i said yeah honey that's that's kind of the way it is yeah so um before the podcast, you and I were touching base on some topics that you know we really wanted to dive into. Previously, we've covered some nitric oxide stuff, beetroot supplementation, citrulline supplementation, uh, statistical uh, and analytical methods, and just how for people how to go about, even for the layperson, reading into studies. That is, if you're not subscribed to the Stronger by Science newsletter or Mass. So that's for the, the nerdier of us that love to get into that stuff. That's there, but for for the people that just kind of like to do that, we kind of gave them some pointers on that. For this episode, uh, we've got a, a laundry list of things that we can touch on. One, the first one I'd like to get into is sleep supplements. And so, on when you were recapping your whole deep dive into sleep, you mentioned that you gave three of your favorites. You also mentioned that you might be uh, consulting with a brand to develop a sleep formula. Uh, so I'll let you kind of take it from there and then we can bounce off a few different ingredients and get some of your thoughts on them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with sleep, uh, you know, I, I did a, a long podcast episode for Stronger by Science about sleep. And as is typically the case, most of it was not about supplements, right? I mean, we, we all like supplements. We think they're interesting. We think they have utility, but we don't want to overstate their utility or, you know, ignore the big stuff and chase the small stuff. So in that podcast, I talked a lot about things you can do to facilitate better sleep, you know, really basic sleep hygiene stuff. Um, And then at the end, I said, by the way, you know, there are some supplements that based on the research do uh, seem to impact sleep quality. They do have some apparent utility. And without suggesting that these are going to be like potent, you know, really powerful interventions, if you're trying to optimize sleep, you know, it might make sense to look at a couple of these ingredients. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that it was fresh on my mind was because I am working with a company called Joy Mode. And uh, they are putting together a sleep supplement. And it should be out pretty soon. Uh, It's not out yet, or it's not available uh, to consumers yet. But, um, you know, they had me do uh, quite a deep dive into various sleep related ingredients. And uh, it's a really fascinating area of literature. Sleep literature is complicated, Um, you know, especially when you start getting into the various uh, objective indicators of sleep quality, Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, it's really funny because as you're going through the literature, you have to kind of make a decision, uh, which is. It's not it's not dichotomous, but you have to weigh these two different things, which one of them would be we did all these objective sleep measures and, you know, we've got all this, you know, quantifiable data. And then the other one is when people waked up, we said, how do you feel? And they said, great, (laughs) you know, and it's like, well, I mean, for the average person using these supplements, I mean, they're not going to have any idea what these objective indicators look like. They might be trying some kind of wearable device, whether or not that objective data is actually reliable and valid, you know, Mm -hmm. depends on the device and the situation. Um, But yeah, so I I never look past uh, in the literature, those those really basic outcomes where they, you know, they'll do like the Pittsburgh sleep quality index or or a much simpler Mm -hmm. index that just says, hey, you've been doing this for eight weeks. How's your sleep in? You know, And, and if it's double blinded, you shouldn't get, you know, really severe 
you know, expectancy effects that are that are biasing those outcomes. So mm -hmm. all of that is to say deep dive into the literature. For some ingredients, the literature is really, really strong. For other ingredients, it's a little bit more up in the air. There's not as much um, not not as much applied research, but there's, you know, a strong theoretical basis and mechanistic rationale and some degree of, of promising findings. Um, so I forget exactly which three I isolated um, when when doing the Stronger by Science podcast, but a few that come to mind for me in terms of sleep quality, uh, you know, one of the basics, you know, the, the, the first supplement that everybody goes to for sleep is, I think, I don't think it's controversial to say melatonin is usually the first one there. Yep. Um, and my perspective on melatonin is um, kind of middle of the road, which mm -hmm. means that everybody hates it uh, to some extent. <laughs> um, no, but when I look at the literature on melatonin, I see a pretty darn effective supplement for, you know, reducing sleep latency, increasing time spent asleep at night. Uh, I see some good stuff there for melatonin. Uh, and so there's a lot of folks who are like, oh, melatonin's terrible. You know, it's, it's not natural to have levels that high and it's going to make you drowsy the next day. It's going to cause all sor sorts of weirdness with your kind of natural circadian ryth rhythmicity of uh, endogenous melatonin levels and things like that. And I don't even necessarily disagree with all that, but the, the key caveat there from my perspective is dosage. Um, you know, I think there's one camp of people who says melatonin is incredible for sleep. Go ahead and take 10 milligrams a night. And then there's another camp. And of course, I'm exaggerating a bit, but there's another camp who adopts the, the perspective I ex explained previously. Let your body make your melatonin. If you take a bunch of it, levels are going to be higher than they ever would be naturally, and it's going to be weird. So um, I kind of like a middle ground where I actually think that melatonin is a very defensible supplement for sleep. I just think people have gotten a little bit uh, a little bit aggressive with some of the dosing <laughs> where, where you're talking about, you know, taking five, even 10 milligrams per night. And uh, perhaps there are some situations where that's indicated or, or advisable. But for me, as kind of a, a regular sleep supplement, I like to keep that lower. I keep it down 0 0.3, 0 0.5, maybe up to one milligram. Mm -hmm. And that, that's about as high as I'd go with the melatonin. Um, and one thing that's really interesting about supplements um, for, uh, for sleep is you could look at exogenous melatonin, but you could also look at ingredients that um, that influence uh, endogenous levels uh, of melatonin, right? So mm -hmm. you could just throw it in there. Um, but there's a really interesting supplement that it, it it's really fascinating to me because it is really kind of taking more and more of the spotlight in the research on sleep supplements. Like if you're reading the most recent review papers that came out in the last 12, 18 months, you see a lot of stuff about tart cherry extract as a sleep promoting ingredient. Um, but you don't really see it in that many formulations yet. I do expect that that will change. Um, but tart cherry is another ingredient that I find really fascinating for sleep because what it does is there's a component in tart cherry extract that influences, um, tryptophan metabolism. So, so it kind of, uh, alters the kind of bioavailability, so to speak of tryptophan, you know, tryptophan in its mm -hmm. metabolic pathway can go left or right. If it goes right, it's not doing anything for you. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of going off and getting wasted. And so there's a, a component of tart cherry extract that actually kind of nudges it toward the pathway where it's going to facilitate serotonin and melatonin synthesis endogenously. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're taking this sledgehammer approach and just saying, yeah, 10 milligrams of melatonin, let's get those <laughs> levels all the way, you know, sky high and then just wake up the next day with a ton of melatonin floating around. Right. Um, so, so with the, uh, the formulation that I kind of advised on, we did a, a very nuanced kind of uh, conservative approach where we go low dose melatonin plus this tart cherry extract to facilitate just normal endogenous production of melatonin and serotonin kind of mm -hmm. downstream of this tryptophan pathway. And, and with melatonin and serotonin, the reason I like to in include this kind of 
gentler touch is because at different points throughout the, the sleep cycle, at different points throughout the light dark cycle, we want these things to be going up, but we also want them to be going down. Sometimes we don't just want more of everything all the time. And so when you're focusing on how to facilitate some of this endogenous production, you can maintain some of those that some of that cyclical nature of serotonin and melatonin kind of ebbing and flowing as they ought to. Mm -hmm. um, so, so those are the, the first two ingredients that, uh, that I really targeted. Um, yeah. Those were two that you had mentioned on the podcast. The other one was uh, L-theanine. Yeah. And, and theanine is one of those really interesting ones because, um, you know, I have seen some more mechanistic focused research on theanine uh, mm -hmm. looking at, you know, really nitty gritty objective indices of what's happening during sleep. And I have heard some uh, some legitimate, you know, pushback of like, well, theoretically, it looks like maybe theanine might not promote the deepest sleep because of this and because of that, you know, really nuanced, nitty gritty objective data. And one of the things I keep coming back to is when we look at the more applied research with a high level of ecological validity, with uh, theanine as part of a sleep formula, it just seems to really enhance subjective sleep quality. And, it, you know, not just looking at one night, but over time. And so I, I don't want to look past, uh, you know, quality research where people take theanine regularly and say, mm -hmm. hey, I'm sleeping better than I used to. And I feel refreshed. And, and everything that I'm experiencing seems to be very much uh, compatible with an improvement in sleep quality. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm not really quick to look past those types of, you know, it, it's one thing to say, oh, my buddy takes it and he said he sleeps great. But when we're talking about actual, you know, legitimate research designs where people are reporting that as group averages, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you, you really don't want to fully look past that. And so, um, you know, there, there's, uh, there's a decent amount of research indicating that theanine is helping out with sleep quality. And, and part of that might be just, uh, you know, theanine often typically doesn't have a sedative effect, but does have kind of a calming, relaxing effect. You know, that's why a lot of people like to pair it with caffeine to kind of take the edge off of that, that jittery mm -hmm. effect. And so I, I think part of it is, is probably, you know, helping you kind of ease into a night of sleep. And that's really compatible with when we look at, um, you know, research that totally unrelated, that's just looking at good sleep hygiene. And, they, you know, they say, well, what do you do before bed? You want to calm down, nothing too, uh, you know, cognitively draining, nothing too active. You want to really ease into a calm state. And in some cases, in many cases, you'll see that uh, sleep hygiene recommendations include something that approximates or literally is like a meditative practice, you know, mm -hmm. so um, some type of mindfulness practice. So uh, theanine, based on the totality of the data, you know, I felt really comfortable throwing it in there. And then uh, a couple other things that are, you know, they're not going to, you know, have the hugest effect in the world, but things that make sense to include there. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to include some form of magnesium. Uh, you know, it's not that, you know, bumping up magnesium as high as you can is going to totally change your sleep. But uh, if you're, you know, routinely low on magnesium, you might notice some degree of impairment in terms of sleep quality. So we wanted to put in a form of magnesium. And the question was, which form? And there, there's a lot of good forms of magnesium. Um, but for me, I wanted to see, you know, can we get even more bang for our buck by really strategically choosing a form of magnesium? And for this particular application for sleep quality, mm -hmm. I felt uh, pretty strongly that magnesium glycinate would be a really strong choice. And the reason for that is there's some research showing that glycine independently uh, with nothing to do with magnesium uh, does seem to enhance sleep quality. Uh, there's some research in humans. There's more mechanistic research in rodents. And it's actually really fascinating because the applied research is there where they say, okay, yeah, we've got this indication that sleep quality is improved. But one of the questions is why, you know, what is glycine doing? And last I checked the literature, the going hypothesis is actually that glycine is facilitating better sleep by helping regulate um, body temperature uh, mm -hmm. and that it kind of facilitates that natural drop in body temperature that we experience as night at night as we're going to bed. 
And so, um, yeah, when, when I think about putting together a sleep formula, those are kind of the, the key areas where my brain is going. We're going mm -hmm. low dose melatonin, tart cherry, little bit of theanine, um, and, and then some magnesium glycinate. Those are the key ones that come to mind. And I had a really funny thing happen. Um, this is going to sound like it, it's a completely false story, but I promise it's true. <laughs> if you go through my if you go through my history of being on podcasts, I'm not one to, to you know, whip up crazy stories. Mm -hmm. But um, I was hanging out uh, in, in one of our Facebook groups for Stronger by Science and someone was asking about sleep. And I said, well, do all this stuff first. But then if you're thinking about a supplement, here are the ingredients that I would like. And someone said, oh, did you get that recommendation from this paper? And, and they sent me a paper. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And it had come out like a couple weeks prior. Mm -hmm. And it had almost exactly the formula that, that I had been kicking around with this <laughs> for like for like two years. I mean, like going way, not two years, but I mean, it had been many, many months in, in progress. And like, uh -huh. I literally took a moment to think, did they somehow find it? Like how, how did they come across this? And I, it's still, I, the best I can gather is that it is a genuine coincidence and that they yeah. were looking at the same papers as me formulating the same conclusion. It's, it's one of those things. I, I have never experienced something like that where there was just this complete convergence where working in parallel, it looks like I arrived at the set of conclusions and they did as well. And I mean, it's not like they whipped up a study in two weeks, right? So right. they must have been looking at the same <laughs> stuff at the same time and, and kind of putting the stuff together. And I don't even think that they were using a standalone product. I, I think it was literally they just were like, well, let's put this in. Let's put that in. And so it wasn't exact. I, I will say that it was not exact because their formulation in this study mm -hmm. didn't have any melatonin. I, I, if memory serves, I think they gave exogenous tryptophan instead mm -hmm. of melatonin. Um, which is a defensible choice, but I actually was thrilled about that because when I was putting together the formula, I said, the melatonin is a slam dunk. We, we can look at the low dose melatonin studies and they look great, mm -hmm. but I might catch some flack for this other stuff by people who are really, uh, really cynical and, and really skeptical, I guess, about supplements. Yeah. And so I see this formulation come along that reported great results. And the only <laughs> ingredient they didn't have was my most effective ingredient in my <laughs> formulation. So yeah, I was like, Hey, we're, we're good to go. Like, I, I really like that. And, you know, of course, small samples, short-term studies, you always got to take those caveats, yeah. but, but yeah, there, there, these other ingredients are where I expected the most pushback and just mm -hmm. complete coincidence. A different, uh, a, a research group was looking at a remarkably similar formula to the extent that I was like, did my emails get hacked? Like what happened? Here? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so um, those, those are really the ingredients that I like to lean on. And, you know, it's it, it's really funny because when it comes to sleep supplements, I feel like um, this is an area that I didn't expect to be passionate about, but I really am. Um, you know, I throughout my career, I've always talked about all of these performance related supplements. You know, I did research yeah. on creatine, caffeine, beta alanine, beetroot, citrulline, you know, you name it. And you know, all throughout that time, there were periods, of course, during my my uh, my career when I was more really invested in my training. And it was like I was using everything I could think of, you know, in terms of over the counter supplements that were not banned by the organizations I competed in. I was just a, an enthusiast. I wanted to use all of it because it interested me. Later on, you know, I be became more interested in the science and the communication, less interested in personally applying it. You know, it was right. more about getting the information out coaching people, helping people. Um, and that, that makes it seem like it's some kind of like sacrifice I made, but that's not the case. It's just where my interests gravitated, you know? Um, but, uh, with sleep supplements, you know, this is an area where like right now, do I take creatine now? Should I probably, but you know, I'm just like, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, when, whenever I really crank my training back up, I'll probably throw it in the mix. Mm -hmm. But, um, but the sleep stuff I take every night. I mean, I, I, and, and the product isn't available yet. So I'm actually, you know, I take melatonin, I take magnesium glycinate, I take the, like, I have all these components separately. Um, because yeah, th this area of research, uh, it's, 
once you start really experimenting with sleep hygiene and other sleep related strategies and you find what works for you, um, I mean, sleep is such an incredible thing. It's so valuable. And it's like, when it comes to supplements and bang for your buck, it's like, would I like to do 13 reps instead of 11? Sure. But how much does my sleep quality impact my next day? A lot more than two extra reps. You oh, know? Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, that, that's where I'm at with sleep supplements. And, um, I, I always, you know, do like a caveat sandwich. I start with it and end with it. If you're sleeping really poorly, your first move is not supplements. Your first move is, am I violating any of these really basic sleep hygiene recommendations? And most people are just like oh, yeah. when, when you look at sleep hygiene recommendations, they are, um, they'd be a lot easier to follow in like 1730 or 1890, <laughs> you know, it's, but like all of a sudden everything we do is on screens, you know, artificial light is the norm. Uh, we're, we're in these perpetually lit settings. Um, it, we, you know, we work later hours. We, you know, our, it was a lot easier when we had to go by the sun, you know, and, and then exactly. once the sun was down, things were dark and there wasn't much you can do about it other than light a few candles. Uh, but nowadays, when you look at sleep hygiene, we've got all these, you know, so many people who, I mean, it's not that they choose to do this. It's just kind of the, a sign of the times, I guess, or the way of the world currently. But you got people doing stressful work projects at 1030 p.m., cranking away on their laptop and they go, oh, crap, I got to get to bed so I can catch that meeting in the morning. And I mean, yeah, that's that's not a recipe for good sleep. And, you know, yeah, if you want to throw some some magnesium glycinate at that, uh, go for it. But you got you got bigger <laughs> problems, right? Best you, of luck. Yeah, yeah you, you got other stuff you got to take care of before you start getting into the the finer details. Yeah, absolutely. Great points all around. So if that's kind of the top tier, you know, based on what you've read and, the, and obviously, you know, from what you're reading, what you're putting into the products that you're helping formulate, um, are there any kind of B tier supplements? So we, we've got to recap for the listeners. We've got melatonin, low dose at that. And which I echo your sentiments. There's there's hundreds, if not, I'm not sure if we're into the thousands yet with melatonin, but hundreds of studies showing safe and effective for otherwise healthy people, people that are jet lag, you know, flight attendants, stewardesses, all of that shift workers. It's great for that. Um, there was one thing that I saw. It was if you start it too low in children, it can maybe suppress um, puberty in females. But we're talking like you're you've got to be a ridiculously irresponsible parent negatives in your child with melatonin. In my opinion, this is not anybody else's opinion. That's mine. There, there's big like you were saying, there's bigger issues at at play. You're letting your kids stay up till all hours of the night watching TV. You're sticking them in front of a tablet. You're doing digital parenting. You're not actually being present as a parent. Um so, you know, low dose, it's not going to cause suppression, shut down, any of these other fear mongering tactics that you will see splashed yeah. around social media. One caveat uh, is that I am the parent of only one cat, so I can't really talk much about parenting strategy. <laughs> <laughs> I've, know, I've, but, got, um, I've got a five year old, but that's, that's yeah. the only one. So, yeah, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, uh, w whenever I talk about supplements, I'm assuming adult, healthy, et cetera. Um, otherwise you should be talking to a doctor. And if it, if it's for a, a kid, we're talking to a pediatrician for sure. Um, another thing that, that was floating around on, on melatonin was like, um, somebody popularized this idea that, uh, melatonin is going to, uh, like really dramatically reduce testosterone levels. Um, and it was based on like some rodent studies with like really high doses and, that got popular and just nobody really thought too hard about it and said, Oh, cool. No more melatonin. It drops your testosterone. It's going to plummet. And I mean, there's plenty of human research to very confidently just reject that outright. Sure. Um, so, so people listening might have heard that. And unfortunately with claims like that, you only hear them in the most confident voices, right? Like, <laughs> of when, course, no, no one's, no one's kind of tiptoeing in and saying, you know, I think maybe we should be worried about, because if they were tiptoeing in with any degree of caution, they would have just checked the research, you know, like, so th that's one of the hardest things with supplement claims is like the, the most cautious folks make the quietest claims because they would bother to actually go and check and do things like that. And the least, <laughs> the least valid claims are usually spoken in the most confident tone possible.
because yeah. the only way to be that confident is by not checking the literature and never <laughs> second guessing your perspective. So with, with supplement stuff, it, it's just, I mean, it's such an uphill battle where the most uh, measured and nuanced perspectives get completely washed out from all the very loud, confident, but unfortunately, largely incorrect perspectives. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, we got theanine, so that's calming people. It's increasing GABA levels, which is always good. You know, even while to your point where you said may not actually be, you know, knocking you out in the way that melatonin would or some of these other things, it makes you calm down. So if we can increase GABA, the body's primary inhibitory neurotransmitter, you'd be in a much calmer, more relaxed state to get deeper, more restful sleep. Uh, the tart cherry extract information was really cool in that that other mechanism that you identified is not what we typically hear touted about why tart cherry may be in a sleep supplement in the sports nutrition space. Usually it's the antioxidants improve blood flow, better recovery, quenching free radicals and oxidative stress. And we also see tart cherry a lot in post-workout supplements. Um, I'm curious to see if we're going to start to see a slow uptick in it, specifically in the, the sports nutrition sector in, and as it you know, filtered out into the general public at large too. Yeah. Um, and, and just so I know probably there are folks in your audience who are very interested in the mechanisms and kind of the nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's a really nice paper about tart cherry where they were looking at, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of people aren't talking about this, this tryptophan stuff when they're talking about tart cherry, they're talking about yeah. nitric oxide, antioxidants, et cetera. Uh, but there's a great paper by uh, who's this by Lasso and colleagues where they did a little pilot study and they were looking at how tart cherry would impact this kynurenine to tryptophan ratio. So like I said, nudging tryptophan away from that kynurenine pathway mm-hmm. into the pathway where it can facilitate, uh, you know, serotonin, melatonin production. And this, the uh, specific com- compound that I mentioned, uh, I didn't mention it by name. It's called procyanidin B2. And that seems to be the thing that is kind of altering the bioavailability uh, and the um, the function, essentially, of tryptophan within the body there and just nudging it toward these pathways that should be more conducive to high sleep quality. So, um, yeah, like I said, there's there's enough research here to look at the applied outcomes with mm-hmm. tart cherry and say, hey, it looks looks pretty good. There's an extremely plausible mechanism that's been identified in humans. Um, and so for me, I think it's really just a matter of time, but before we see more, more, um, more formulations, including tart cherry extract, which is a totally viable way to get, um, effective doses of this pro cyanidin B2. Yeah. I'm trying to see, uh, I just pulled up the study. So it, it was 240 milliliters two times a day in that, that small pilot study. Yeah. Um, I guess you can, if you standardize it or you get a powder, you could probably do somewhere between 500 and 1,000 milligrams. That's typically what we see for tart cherry powders. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing that gets tricky when you start getting away from the basics with dosing is now you're talking about, well, you're standardizing this powder to that amount and then you're putting it into a gummy and... <laughs> <laughs> it, it gets uh, it gets very nuanced and, and complicated. But but yeah, I mean, what we're seeing, though, I mean, just even the most cursory glance at that, that is not an unusually high dose of a very basic tart cherry juice. Right. Correct. And, and so, yeah, you, you can absolutely find, um, you know, standardized formulations of the extract that that give you plenty. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving next towards the, that next tier of ingredients that possibly. So some other common sleep agents that we see valerian root hops uh maybe something like ashwagandha because that's another kind of calming adaptogen uh one that i've i kind of like because of its complementary mechanisms with theanine is lemon balm which has got some interesting research in memory enhancement especially in older individuals but stress reduction and its main mechanism is uh as a gaba transaminase inhibitor so it's inhibiting the breakdown of gaba to where it'll keep you know, promote greater, longer lasting levels of GABA in the body for enhanced calmness and, you know, sleep sensations and all that good stuff. Um, are there any other ones that you would think once you got those big picture ones, you would maybe consider next? Well, um, those are all good options, you know, and and the, the big challenge with putting together a sleep formula is based on your, you know, I can tell you've been looking at, at the research on this. Um, 
the issue is not finding more options. <laughs> you <Right>. know, there, there's <laughs> like, it, it's one of those areas of research where you can find, um, this is not, it, this always sounds dismissive, but it's not intended to be, but you can find relatively low quality evidence or low certainty evidence for 150 different things. Yeah. And just because an ingredient has low quality or low certainty evidence doesn't mean it's a low quality ingredient. It means we don't yet have the necessary research to really make a confident determination about the utility of that ingredient. And so, yeah, for, for a lot of these different herbal options, there are like one or two studies here or there where you would say that looks promising, but where do you, at what point do you cross over that threshold and go from promising to, yep, let's throw it in. And for everyone, that's going to be a little bit different. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the um, can can you run those by me again? You mentioned lemon balm, valerian, and there was one other. Um, oh, oh hops, yeah, the ashwagandha, and, and that's yeah. more like not that, that ashwagandha is going to knock you out or you know do anything like that, but more along the lines of promoting it. You know, as an adaptive, and it's if you're low, it's going to raise you up. If you're over anxious, it's going to get you a little bit more mellow and calm. Um, and I guess yeah, one other I, one that we throw in there is something like to reference that sledgehammer approach you're taking, doing five HTP as the direct. The, you know, the descendant of tryptophan yeah. and the immediate precursor to serotonin. So I guess you can speak on any or just say these are all have garbage. Yeah. And we just move on to another topic. I'm fine no. with these. <laughs> no, no. So I'm glad you brought up ashwagandha because I do take it at night personally mm -hmm. with my uh, sleep kind of formula that I that I cooked up pill by pill over there, you know, until mm -hmm. I get the, the one from the company. Um, you know, I, I, I do throw... I take ashwagandha daily and I decided I was going to throw it in at that nighttime period. Um, and, and I, how much is it really moving the needle within the context of that entire uh, uh, kind of lack of supplements? Hard to say, mm -hmm. but uh, I've seen with ashwagandha, there, there have been some studies pointing toward uh, positive effects for sleep. Um, and so I, I had considered putting it in there one of the reasons that I did not is because the, the company that I'm consulting for uh, also has another kind of supplement blend that is a testosterone support complex and ashwagandha is included in that. And so we kind of have to do some thinking about how are people going to be stacking these different products together. And it's the same kind of thing with something like magnesium, where you could argue, should we put a little bit in a testosterone support complex or should we put a little bit in a sleep complex? And ashwagandha is one of those other ones where you'd say, well, in some cases, both make sense. In other cases, you might want to go one or the other or kind of distribute the dose a little bit conservatively. So ashwagandha is one that did get my attention uh, as I was doing literature reviews. Um, and then the other kind of area of supplementation I thought about was that whole, you know, tryptophan fi um, 5-HTP kind of um, uh, pathway there. Mm -hmm. And so I had uh, considered doing something along that pathway in terms of an actual exogenous dose of it. I was leaning toward tryptophan rather than going further down that metabolic chain or that metabolic pathway um, just to kind of let the body decide exactly how much conversion is going to be going on there. But um, ultimately, since we had tart cherry available, which um, was going to be influencing those endogenous, uh, the endogenous bioavailability, I guess you would say, of tryptophan. I figured we've already got that pathway covered with a with a really light touch, you know. And, and like you said, you could go um, further down that pathway and give exogenous doses of, of some of these, uh, you know, some of these ingredients. And the way you put it, I think is is correct. It's a little bit more of a sledgehammer approach, and uh, with sleep. Sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, to, to, to go really aggressive off the top rope and just say, yeah, we're putting in this, that, the other thing with really high doses. And all of a sudden the next day it's noon and you're like still drowsy and <laughs> walking around like a zombie. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's with, uh, sleep formulas, it's one of those things where I feel like if I'm looking at a pre-workout formula, mm -hmm. right. For, for just like resistance training, there's. I know what I'm looking for in that formula and there could be some little bells and whistles people throw in, but you kind of have this basic chest checklist that is pretty agreed upon. 
I feel very differently about a sleep formula where if I had three different knowledgeable people put together a sleep formula, it's very possible from my perspective that all three would look quite different and all three could still be quite good. Um, which, which is a very different thing than when you're coming from the sports supplement world and everybody's trying to basically make the same formulas, right? Or, you know, they, they have their little pet ingredient, their favorite little ingredient that they think is getting overlooked. But broadly speaking, we know what the checklist is for a pre-workout in many cases. Um, but with sleep formulas, there, there are so many options on the table. Yeah, I would agree. And it's t- to the point about pre-workouts, like you said, going all the way back to a, you know, the beginning of the podcast where you said you were really heavily invested in trying and testing every single pre-workout ingredient that had a potential benefit for your performance and your, your competitions. Um, I was the same way. And the longer I'm in this industry and the longer I'm just training everything, I, it, I see a new pre-workout come across the wire and I'm just what I, I'm so bored by it now because it's all the same thing. Or you have all of these major ingredient houses coming up with these basically different variations on the same theme. We've got a different source of antioxidants. We've got a different source of polyphenols or whatever. And so we've got, you know, five different citrus peel branded extracts. We've got a couple of different grapeseed branded extracts. We've got beetroot powders. And that's a whole other ball of issues right there with the, the problems with beetroot powder, which we've touched on previously. Um where some of these other avenues are have not been explored. And I wish that we would start seeing more research efforts, but that goes back to the funding issue, which we've, we've touched on a number of times before of let's get some other small, high quality studies going, even if it's only 10 to 15 people for, you know, a week or so, it's just any kind of data at this point, just to shore up some of these other herbal traditional remedies that we've gotten from traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, Oh, you know, anywhere and in between. So it's, it's that joint health, organ health, some of these other avenues that are going to have far deeper ramifications than your 300 milligrams of caffeine or six grams of citrulline and all that stuff in the, the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I mean, I do try, so, you know, we do the mass research review mm-hmm. and, um, mass research review. When I write articles for that, it is, I write for the readers, right? I, I don't just write to, I mean, hopefully, the readers and I are have a lot of similarity in the topics that that we're interested in, but ultimately it's a service I provide to to the readers, you know. And so I do try to stay on top of that uh, pre workout supplement literature, and every now and then something will come along that I find interesting, mm-hmm. and there, there have been a couple things lately that I have uh, written about because I said, you know what fine. This crosses my threshold where I say this is novel enough and pertinent enough in the pre-supplement or the pre-workout supplement realm that it's worth an article or, or, mm-hmm. or addressing. Um, but the only two things that have really popped up lately, um, one would be uh, capsaicin or capsiate supplementation. And I tend to be very skeptical of new supplements as they pop up, but we are getting to the point now where you're getting some of those small meta-analyses about capsiate or capsaicin supplementation. Uh, The other area that I find somewhat interesting and novel is the idea, you know, beta-alanine has never really made a lot of sense as an acute supplementation ingredient. Um, It's it's the type of thing, it's kind of like putting creatine in your pre-workout. Well, great, you've got creatine, creatine's nice, but creatine consumed at noon isn't really doing much for you at 1230 when you're in the gym, right? It's about building up over time. Uh, and beta alanine is the same thing. It's about building up that muscle carnosine content over time. And for the longest time, people said, well, you know, we, we, we'd love to have a bunch of carnosine immediately available, but it's just not really all that viable of a supplementation route. Um, but now I'm seeing a couple, one or maybe two lab groups who are interested in doing a combination of carnosine and anserine, um, which is very, as you can tell by the name, structurally similar to carnosine. Um, But the idea is that if you give both of them acutely, you can get around some of the issues that have made carnosine a relatively non-viable acute supplementation route. One one of the big issues is that there are enzymes in in the bloodstream that will pretty rapidly break down uh, carnosine and you know, it, it just 
really hurts the acute utility of that supplementation. Uh, so for that reason, people just say, ah, take the beta alanine, build it up in muscles, you'll be fine. Uh, but it, it does look like by providing this combination acutely, you can basically saturate the activity of that enzyme that, that is breaking down carnosine mm -hmm. and rendering it fairly useless in the short term. And you actually can unlock a bit of short term or acute utility from that combination. So those are two areas that I've been loosely following with skepticism, but with an open mind. Uh, but outside of those, I haven't really seen a whole lot of things that have been shaking up the pre-workout supplement landscape. I mean, the one thing that got kind of close to making a stir was um, people had developed an interest in something called theocrine, which was yeah. kind of like similar to caffeine. Um, mm -hmm. But in my opinion, personally, and this is not an opinion that I'd fight someone over, but by my, by my read of the literature, one of my least favorite things about caffeine, I love caffeine. It was, yeah. you know, I did my master's thesis on caffeine near and dear to my heart. One of the things that I find uh, least favorable, favorable about it is it's relatively long half-life. If, if we could somehow find a way to get caffeine's half-life down to like 30 minutes, you know, or an hour, <laughs> I'd be like, hell yeah, this is perfect. Um, so the long half-life of caffeine to me is a liability that we just put up with. And so the, the issue with theocrine was that it had, um, you know, pretty similar effects as caffeine, but a considerably longer half-life. So people were like, oh, you know, let's try to, you know, kind of frame that as a good thing. But for me, I was seeing all downside from, from that particular aspect. So that stuff kind of came in. I haven't, have you heard much about it lately? Um, I love the ingredient personally. Like I've got, I've written extensively about it on a couple of different avenues, used it in formulation. I take it almost on a daily basis. I got away from it for about a month or two. That was just cause I, I ran out of it. Um, but they did have some early studies on it when it came out that it did not, they did a pretty high dose. I think it was around uh, 300 milligrams. Mm -hmm. uh, for several days and it did not impact sleep quality whatsoever for individuals. So, wow. but it's more along the lines of the way that the reason to, to combine caffeine and theocrine is that if you're looking at the adenosine receptor, um, caffeine is an orthosteric modulator and the listeners it's, that's akin to kicking in the front door to get into a house. Um, theocrine or theocrine is an allosteric modulator of that receptor. So it's kind of like sliding in through a window to where you get, a subtle um, increase in arousal, uh, wakefulness, concentration, focus, but it's not as pronounced where if you combine those two together, you, you kind of get that little, that sweet spot of the immediate punch of caffeine and that delay or that sustained increase because teocrine's effects really don't get started ramping up until around like 75, 90 minutes post ingestion. That's when it's levels start to peak and then it, it rides that way because it's half-life, like you said, is something like... 16 to 20 hours, I believe. Yeah, it's long. It's yeah, long. yeah, it's it's but I mean, it it boosts dopamine levels, and in the in the short studies they've done, um, I really like the combination, just me personally. But there's cool. like everything, it's got an inverted U bell shaped curve to where you take too little of it, it actually makes you tired. And there are some anecdotal accounts of just some different brand owners I've talked to to where uh, they've fallen asleep and been on the verge of crashing their car because they took a low dose. Now, if that was that the only thing that that happened, I I don't know, but you know, you take too much caffeine, you can also get jittery or really tired because it's got that, you know, that bell yeah. curve to it. So. No, that's great. I mean, and that's that's why, uh, you know, I, I prefaced it by saying this is not a not a perspective I'd fight about because it is one of those things where I just uh, I haven't put the time into chasing down the nitty gritty details of theocrine uh, to the extent that you have. Yeah. Um, and, and I always, always get tripped up because I, I hate that they made the, the, I think there's a branded version called Teocrine, which is yeah. way too close. And then I can't remember what's the actual compound, what's the brand name. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, that, that's interesting. I would definitely um, consider giving that a shot. I, to me, that one of the things I was concerned about was just um, that long half-life. But it, it sounds like if you can thread the needle right with the dosing, that then it uh, basically yeah. just doesn't become an it. What kind of, what kind of daily dose are you, would you typically use? Um, you can use anywhere from, I think like 50 milligrams is the lowest amount shown, uh, 
so without getting into that, that sedative effect or that tired aspect, uh, 50 up to 150 milligrams. My sweet spot's usually around, if I'm having a cup of coffee or a, a nootropic supplement or pre-workout or something, I'm throwing about 100 milligrams of teacrine, theacrine in there. Um, and my, my caffeine tolerance, I don't really have any issues metabolizing it. If, if we're talking like 100 milligrams up to 500 milligrams, I've had to test all kinds of products over the years and they, they more or less all hit me the same. You yeah. just, and, but it, there's the teacrine, you're not going to notice it right away unless you're, you're really dialed into how you respond to various products. And then you'll start to notice, you know, you stay focused a little bit longer. You feel a little bit more kind of upbeat, just kind of with it more. It's not like a pow, really sharp, unless you're a super, somebody super duper sensitive and caffeine naive. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I, this is a really good um, example, I think, of how, you know, people who kind of chase down all these different supplements in the literature, mm -hmm. a lot of it probably has to do with, you know, when you have, because there's so much out there, you have to choose what you're willing to chase down or not. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, you know, we do a journal sweep for our research review every month. Someone does it for us. Thank God. And they, <laughs> they bring us this huge list of hundreds of studies that we might cover. If I tried to chase down every supplement that hit the research review, that hit the, the journal sweep, I wouldn't have time to, to sleep. You know, I wouldn't have time to eat, you know, it's, it's, there's so much. And so for me, I, up to this point in my career, have been so focused on performance, uh, physical performance. And so when I'm looking at caffeine and theocrine from that perspective, I'm like, eh, does it really make, do I see enough of a compelling reason to necessarily make a swap? You know, it's not that I'm like, oh, no one should ever take it. But for me, I'm like, okay, caffeine, I've got these meta analyses, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies. It works, seems yeah. to work fine. It works about as good as anything else that we see in the supplement world short of, of creatine. Right. And so for that reason, I'm like, eh, caffeine seems to be fine and I move on. Mm -hmm. um, but if, you know, I'm not someone who's ever spent a lot of time looking into uh, nootropic supplements in really, really heavy detail and looking into things that are going to support just kind of energy throughout the course of a day rather than the course of a 60, 75 minute workout. You know, so right. it's, it's really interesting. The more that I talk to folks about supplements and we, I might run into a situation like this where I say, oh, yeah, I, I lost interest in that. And someone else says, well, no, I'm, I'm very interested in that. <laughs> it's usually because we're looking at totally different use cases. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at, hey, what seems useful? Well, it's useful for what? And if sure. the for what is different, then you have two different people who agree on basically all the facts about the supplement. One person finds it really promising and inter interesting. And the other person's like, oh yeah, I gave up on that. I, I stopped caring because I was, <laughs> I was focused on how do we increase bench press for 60 minutes? Not, you know, how do we maintain, uh, you know, mood state, cognitive activity and energy level throughout the course of an entire work day, for example. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And you know, they have, I would like to see more studies on it. There's, there've been a few, um, obviously short ones. They had one in soccer players where they compared, uh, and it's been a while since I've looked at this study. It was, it was probably Sean, uh, Sean Orant's group did that, I think. In soccer I probably players. so. Yeah. Uh, it was 150 milligrams of caffeine versus, uh, 150 milligrams of caffeine with teacrine. And they showed that, you know, mental fatigue and RPE was better in the caffeine and teacrine group compared to that. But again, that's, Soccer matches, and if you're especially if like you're in one of those all day youth soccer tournaments, you're going for eight hours a day. So in right. that instance, I see it can benefit athletic performance mostly from not necessarily your output, but more of like the the mental stick to itiveness that you can yeah. have throughout the day. And same thing with maybe you're an individual that doesn't want to have your morning pre workout before you go to the office, and then you you don't want to have an energy drink, a cup of coffee, whatever in the afternoon, maybe that tea cream helps you stay up a little bit longer after the, the session. But there's, there's so many other things. Uh, I just like it more from like the nerdy mechanistic side of things than anything. And if, yeah. if I get a chance to, to formulate a nootropic or a gaming supplement, I don't do any gaming, but just in yeah. that niche, because it's kind of an offshoot or a subgenre of nootropics was that that's why I look at it. It would it's, yeah. it makes sense in that context. That's yeah, I, I think that's a totally valid application for sure. Yeah, most of the folks I work with, we we usually talk about 
how do I feel like I can run through a brick wall for exactly one hour a day, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> powerlifting, bodybuilding, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but no, I, yeah, the, the paper that you're referring to, I, I had, a, you know, I, I knew it was up there. It was from Sean's group, Sean Arendt, back when they were at mm -hmm. Rutgers. Um, and th this whole list of, of authors, th this is a group of folks that we would go to like the NSCA National Conference, the ISSN. Mm -hmm we would hang out with this entire list of authors like the entire time we're there. Like oh, they were like awesome. our, they were like our best buddies. So <laughs> even if I hated the paper, I wouldn't be allowed to say anything bad about it. But I, I did review this when it came out. I mean, they, they do great work. I mean, I, I couldn't have more respect for, for Sean and his team. So mm -hmm. yeah, the, these types of scenarios where we're talking about uh, performance over an extended period of time, you know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially for cognitively engaging sports where you mm -hmm. just need to be alert. You need to make snap decisions. One thing I'd be interested in would be, you know, you could say, well, what about a power lifter? Right. Because you're doing the meat you know, the whole day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the meat takes all day. So you're, you're trying to bench press your best at 10 in the morning, but you're trying to deadlift your best at five in the afternoon. Yeah. The, the one thing I'd want to see there is, how how do these two ingredients compare for that like short term force output? You know, right. some of that more mechanistic, you know, neuromuscular function mm -hmm. type outcomes, um, which would re require a whole lot of digging. But yeah, it, it is really interesting, though, with supplements. You know, I, I think I think it's really unfortunate when people will just kind of say supplements are all good. They're all bad. They'll you know, it's really important whenever you're saying, you know, I don't like that supplement. It's like, well, you, you have to kind of specify the use case yeah. and it's, it, you don't like it because it's not helpful for you addressing <laughs> the problem that's immediately in front of your face. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, supplement, that's why they're so fascinating is because, uh, you know, what could be extremely beneficial for one person is basically nah. neg negligible for another, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it makes it fun because there's, an endless number of rabbit holes I can go down at the same time. It kind of makes you wonder like, which do I just burn myself out to where I'd never want to write about this topic again and then force myself to there. Or do I try to just jump here? Then I'll jump to liver health then I'll jump to joints and then, you know, sleep. And it just, it, yeah. it's, I usually just try to find one topic and drive myself until I really don't want to see that, that word anymore. And then I go somewhere and something else pops up or, Somebody that listens to the podcast or checks out says, hey, have you heard about this product or ingredient? And then I probably haven't because I've been focused on something else. And then I yeah. go that and dig in there. That, it is tricky, though, because I remember like the first couple of times, um, you know, back in the day in the fitness industry, there would always be these um, events where people would kind of do little conferences. and You'd mm -hmm. go out and speak at it and whatever. And I remember feeling like a total hypocrite the first time or two that I went out to these because people I might give a talk about supplements and someone will say, have you heard about this one? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, have, you, have you heard about this one? I'm like, no. Like, it's because, like you said, you, you basically have to put on the blinders and just say, what is immediately in front of me? What, uh, you know, what topic am I going to chase down? And you might do it for a couple years. And and then eventually you say, OK, I'm. I can never look at this again. Like, I'll, I'll come back to it in like five years and see if anything's changed. But realistically, nothing's going to change in the next two years. So yeah, you kind of cycle around from these different topics and different use cases. And that's why I always try to be really cautious about, um, you know, I mean, back in the day, like this isn't even supplement related, but I used to be so focused on physiology when it mm -hmm. comes to coaching. So if, if I were working with someone, it's like, well, what do we have to do with changing your macros? What do we have to do with your, your very specific training variables to try to address this? Like for me, because I was so buried in physiology, the answer was always physiology. It's, it's like that, that old uh, saying where when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know? So when you're just steeped in physiology information, everything's a physiology problem. And I remember Eric Helms, who, who's a, a co-author of, of our research review, mm -hmm. He was getting into all this crap about psychology and behavior change and all this crap I didn't want to hear about. And I was like, <laughs> you're wasting your time with all that. You know, that's that's dumb. Just focus on the physiology. A few years later, it's my it's my favorite stuff to write about. I mean, I, I love writing about psychology and behavior change and, you know, uh, more nuanced uh, looks at goal setting and, and, you know, actually establishing uh, a change in behavior 
to meet those goals. And so I, I've completely inverted where I'm like, yeah, the physiology stuff, I'm a little bit fatigued with it. The psychology stuff is fun right now. And yeah, I think the only way to, to stay in this type of career for a long time is you have to have a few different areas that where you can say, I'm going to put this down and I'm going to pick that up for a while. Yeah. And you have to be able to kind of cycle through these focal areas. And the good thing for you is that uh, you mentioned supplements for this, supplements for that, supplements for the other. You're never going to run out. Your, your biggest <laughs> risk is um, your biggest risk is being overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of all the different roads you could take. Yeah. But if you're into just really digging into the supplements for a variety of different applications and use cases, mm -hmm. you will never run out. And once you no. Once you run out of what's available today, which you probably never will, there's going to be more stuff, you know, yeah. so it, it's never ending. Yeah. Um, as we near the end of our uh, time together, I wish uh, I, there's four other things that I, we, I was going to think we could discuss on. We'll, we'll table that till part four of, of uh, this podcast. Um, a couple of just quick hitter questions that I wanted to get, and we can dive further into the, the answering uh, literature, but do you know if that was uh, supplemented as a dipeptide or two individual free form amino acids? Just I'm, I'm looking at it from a, a feasibility standpoint of companies mm -hmm. that want to put this into their products because a dipeptide, so they had that glutamine used to have bioavailability concerns as well. And so they came up with this dipeptide and they, the brand name of it was Sustamine or Sustamine. And it was uh, glutamine bonded to L-alanine because alanine basically acted like a sacrificial lamb and allow glutamine to get into the small intestine, get absorbed and do all the, you know, the magic stuff that glutamine supposedly does for recovery. Yeah. Um, and that's the only, I'm just trying to wonder because, but that is an insanely expensive ingredient. There's another company trying to come out with a dilucine peptide right now to make leucine even more muscle building and anabolic of an amino acid than it already is. So, yeah, if, if, you know, I'm, I'm, so I will say, I just hit my microphone. I hope hope that's not a huge bump in the audio. I will say that there were some studies mm -hmm. that would just use a chicken broth extract. Um, okay. And that is how they got this combination, this naturally occurring combination of anserine and, and, and carnosine. Um, so in that case, it would have to be uh, just whatever, whatever form they, they kind of would, would be in from that extraction process is what they were. Okay. In other scenarios, I have seen uh, situations where the two have been kind of synthesized independently to be a perfectly matched ratio. Because in right. chicken broth, they're not exactly one to one. There, there's a little right. bit of a difference. Um, and so... I'm not sure if anyone would have used specifically a dipeptide that was, was bonded together. I would have to assume in the isolated formulations that they did not. Um, I could be wrong, but that would be my hunch. But with the, um, with the chicken broth, I, I also would probably, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah. I'd, I'd have to look into that. And I don't, I, as you can tell from some of the stuff I mentioned earlier, I'm not a big fan of the confident claim without checking. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, I agree. Yeah, I it's just know. more for my own edification. I'm going to go do some digging into it now because that's a, an interesting avenue. And if it's just, I, if it's the dipeptide thing, I see that being extremely cost prohibitive to, to brand owners. And we have a few that listen to the podcast, so they might yeah. do some digging or so I'll, I'll, check into that one from from my understanding of how the mechanism has been explained in mm -hmm. the papers i've read i don't think it would be um completely necessary for it to be in dipeptide form but okay but i could be wrong and i, I would trust your eye over mine on that <laughs> all right um you mentioned uh taking ashwagandha earlier in addition to the other sleep supplements which form of it if you take because we've got generic there's ksm 66 uh, sensoril, Shodan, Nuganda. So do you have a preferred one or do you kind of circulate between the different forms? Uh, I take KSM 66. Do, do you have a preferred form? Uh, that's the one I usually like for, yeah. especially just like overall stress reduction. Um, the other ones kind of also artificially inflate the with analyte content by adding some of the leaf material. And depending on which, what you read about the historical use, the safety of the leaves versus root only extracts, there's, there's some different things in there. Um, but it's as far as like general, it's not going to completely knock you out or leave you feeling completely 
just way too mellow because if you take too high of a standardization, at least for me personally, if I take something like Sensoril or Shodan, which has that really high with analyte content, I feel blown out and don't really feel like doing a whole hell of a lot because I'm just, you know, firing up Rocky Four and just watching that or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I kind of looked into the ashwagandha research uh, for stress reduction a long time ago. And that was mm -hmm. kind of the first thing that got me interested in. And then they start layering on, oh, by the way, it might do this and it might do that and it might do that. But initially, that's what I was looking for. And I, I found the... Um, I'm a simple guy. I, I try to look at, okay, which studies are reporting some of the best outcomes that, that seem to be valid and reliable and well done. And what did they use? <laughs> you know, and so mm -hmm. I, I think there's tremendous utility in digging into uh, really nuanced mechanisms uh, when the time is right. Um, but but for my initial kind of cursory search of ashwagandha, I was like, the KSM 66 just seems to be doing really well in these studies. And, and for me, that was, that was enough to kind of sway my opinion. And it also uh, is very convenient that that is just the, the easiest for me to, to get my hands on. They, they, I, I shop at Costco is where I get my groceries <laughs> and they, they have a, a nice little ashwagandha product there. That's KSM 66. So yeah. easy enough. Outstanding. Any other supplements that you're taking on a daily or semi regular basis? Uh, no, I mean, the, the sleep stuff is really the, the majority of my supplementation these days. I, you know, I was running into some sleep issues and, and, and that's been helping out along with, uh, you know, really good sleep hygiene practices when I'm mm -hmm. good. And then sometimes mm -hmm. I slip up and I'm not so good. Um, on top of that, I just take a, a multivitamin. I, I did, um, uh, switch to a vegan diet, uh, within the past year or two, I forget exactly when mm -hmm. the, the time just blends together. Um, so with that in mind, you know, with any, with any dietary pattern, there are going to be some micronutrients of interest that you want to make sure you're, you're getting covered. Right. And, uh, when I was on an omnivorous diet, I had such diverse intakes of foods. I didn't really give it much attention, but would often just take a multivitamin cause you know, whatever, why not? Right. Um, so yeah, now that I'm on a vegan diet, I've been a little bit more uh, conscious of taking my multivitamin at least a few times a week and trying to take uh, an algae oil supplement a few mm -hmm. times a week as well. Uh, not trying to do anything fancy with the algae oil. You know, sometimes you'll see the studies where they're like, yeah, we gave this huge fish oil dose every day and we found that, you know, muscle soreness decreased by 2%. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to make sure I'm getting some nice EPA and DHA uh, in, into my system on a regular basis, but not, not trying to reach for any of those really, you know, really high dose effects that, that you might find in the literature. Gotcha. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you very much for your time. As always, Dr. Trex, I, it's a true, true treat for me to be able to, to get guys like you on the podcast, you know, the credential ones that are actually doing the research and, you know, helping communicate to the masses out there. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything you want to plug hype or uh, shamelessly shill for before you uh, exit? Uh, first, I want to thank you. I, I always love coming on the show. Um, and and I, I really appreciate getting your perspective on things. Because now I realize I'm going to have to do a whole bunch more reading about theocrines, which <laughs> is the last thing I needed. But, uh, but no, I, I love getting together and, and talking with folks who are really knowledgeable about this stuff. And you, you do a, a really tremendous job. Um, in terms of shilling my products, um, you know, we, we talked about the mass research review that that's uh, a big focus of mine. You can find more about that at strongerbyscience.com slash mass. Uh, or if you find me on Instagram, my handles at Trexler Fitness, I can send you that way as well. Uh, and, and you can, you know, contact me there. And then the other thing that we've been doing is we released a diet app called Macro Factor. And so uh, it's, it's not supplement related, but, um, you know, Macro Factor is a food logging app that also has diet coaching um, capabilities built in. So what that means is uh, it will, you basically put in your information, put in your goal, it will monitor your changes in body weight and your, your nutrition intakes over time. And so, for example, you can say, hey, I want to lose, you know, uh, a pound a week until I reach this body weight, it will continue to adjust your calorie targets and your macro targets every week to keep you on track with that goal and, and get you where you're trying to go. So whether you're trying to maintain, lose weight, gain weight, um, you know, all those goals are, are totally doable. And there are some really nice insights within the app. So I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are interested in 
uh, perhaps uh, micronutrient content of what they're eating. They might want to be looking into um, specific amino acid intakes. And so um, with, with our, um, with our food database, as long as you're logging, you know, kind of like common US, USDA type foods that you would find in those types of really, um, really detailed databases, you can get really nuanced information about, about your intakes. Of course, if you're just saying, yeah, I, I had, uh, you know, a quarter pounder with cheese from McDonald's, if they're not, if they're not going to report their, you know, all their micronutrient information, we, we can't get what's not reported. Right. But anything that you're going to find in those, you know, really solid databases of common foods, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you, you can get fatty acid profile information. You can look at your omega-3 and omega-6, different cool. amino acids. So um, we, built, we built the app. There's kind of a fork in the road when you're talking about these types of apps. Mm -hmm. And it's who are you making this for? Uh, is this for the kind of casual person who's like, yeah, I've got a wedding coming up. I want to lose five pounds. We definitely included the insights and the analytics that would cater to someone who's really wants all the detailed information. So I, I think that will probably resonate with a lot of folks in your audience. So uh, yeah, macro factor and mass, those have been taking up all my time, but pretty soon we'll be back on the Stronger by Science podcast doing more of those as well. Outstanding. Well, thank you again, Dr. Trexler. Links to everything will be in the show notes. And uh, if when you if and when you do get time to check out the Teacreen research and you find something that is I have completely overlooked or just completely does not jive with anything I've talked about, please let me know. And then I need to go back and make some corrections. Very unlikely, but I will let you know. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much and have a great day. Thanks. You too.